The 4 o'clock football frenzy is presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. It's time for the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Give me some crunches. All right, everybody. Cofield and Company is into its football frenzy in the 4 o'clock hour with the Adams family, Adam Hill, Adam Candy. Uh... Adam, I, I want to put you on the spot here and ask you a question. Um, what is your single favorite Raiders audible call that you've heard? Because one of the fun parts of last season was that we got to hear everything that was going on on the field um, because of the fact, obviously, that there are no, no more fans in the stadium. So we got to hear so many more of the audibles, and the Raiders were enjoying putting some fun ones in there. Did you have a favorite? I actually like Pistol Pete. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. Ti- was it Chris uh, Mullen? <laughs> wasn't there? Wasn't Tiger Woods in there at one point? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, Tiger Woods. I, I enjoyed. Enjoyed a little Tiger Woods. Uh, Tiger Woods, Chris Mullen, Pistol Pete. Yeah, all all good calls. Omaha, Omaha. Of course, the the most famous of them for. Um, well, the for the Pink biggest Man, stir. Right? I think the biggest stir was uh, Cindy Gruden. Ah. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That did cause a little bit of a uh, a miniature kerfuffle. Yeah, um, sure. Uh-huh. So that was the most controversial of them, huh, Cindy Gruden? I think so. Okay. Um, what do you think about what's been going on in Massachusetts in the high school ranks? Because it seems like they didn't think those were controversial enough. That, that going Cindy Gruden or, or Pistol Pete. Like, they didn't think those were enough, right? Like, there's one coach out there who thought that he was going to go next level. Is that right? Yeah, and I think, listen, this is this is a very weird, um, it's a very weird situation that's going on. But, yeah, a high school coach in Massachusetts had Holocaust-themed audibles for his team. Oh, my God. Including Auschwitz and Hitler. And just the straight up Holocaust. Um, it's weird. I mean, I think the claim essentially is that it was a history lesson. I don't know that you uh-huh. can get away with that. So the background that I was sort of tongue in cheek referring to here is this coach in Massachusetts was fired for using what Adam just described, very derogatory and uh, inflammatory terms referring to the Holocaust as audible calls for his team. And he did exactly what you'd expect someone to do. He came out with the statement of, I mean, look, the statement tried to amount to uh, how could you say this about me? I have a multiracial family. I'm so I'm sensitive to these things. I was teaching history, blah, blah. None of the things that actually addressed what you did, which was using Holocaust terms as audibles. Um, But Adam, you flagged this story, and I thought the most amazing part of it was that this guy was not initially fired for it, and apparently he'd been doing it in practice for years. Yeah, that was you know a former player said, "Oh, we always use those in practice. We just didn't do it in games." And really, the pandemic is what caught them because the the crowd there was no crowd, and so on the films you could hear what their audibles were. Uh, it's it's insane that they were that they thought this was okay. Uh, I, I it's it's baffling to me, really. But you're right the initial reaction was he was suspended. Like this one is like, okay, I don't understand what you're doing here, but I don't even know what the positive 
Like the we're teaching history doesn't add up. That doesn't fly. Like I'm I'm a I'm very much a context person. Like I think every case can be looked at and you can determine, you know, case to case basis whether something was truly egregious or whether this was just kind of overreacting or whatever. I don't even see the I don't even see the the other side of this. Like, dude, you you know what you're doing. You're throwing these terms out there. There's no other reason except to to really, you know, inflame and to be outrageous in I don't know. I, what what could you could you come up with? We thought it would it would throw the other team off so much that it gave us an edge. I I, I don't know. I guess maybe uh, you're really stretching though. This is just bad. If you stretch it out to that, then you could stretch it out to any number of other things, which uh, probably don't merit mention on the radio that you could say to get someone's attention. Um, it, you know, you mentioned that this year was the year they got caught because they could be heard on film. Well, the players were the ones who told us that it was going on in practice for years. So it seems to me that we probably need to take a look at the larger context of what was going on in America in the past year plus that made it seem to this coach like maybe it was the time to move it over from practice to the game. Uh, it's deplorable. It's ridiculous. And no, Adam, there's there's no way in which I can say, well, you know, we needed to suspend him first to make sure that he was getting his due process. Uh, look, due process, of course, is an American right, but it is also an American right not to be called the kinds of names and have that be commonplace in America. I did not verify that with Justin Watkins that I have the legal part right, but I will tell you that I find it ridiculous that this guy had any opportunity to stay on his job after doing that. Crunch it up. In happier news, um, let's go south from Massachusetts down to Florida where a lot of, let's say, less in shape people go to retire. Um, and Fat Lenny is not going to retire in Tampa. Uh, Leonard Fournette is actually staying in the state of Florida, having gone from Jacksonville to Tampa, won a Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Adam, it looks like they're going to run the whole thing back. Yeah, with uh, if you can say, would you call him Fat Lenny? It's Playoff Lenny or Lombardi Lenny to you, my friend. How about that's, Fat uh, Lombardi Lenny? Okay, that's fair. Uh, yeah, with with uh, Lombardi Lenny back in the mix, <laughs> the Bucks the Bucks now have all twenty two starters returning to the team next year. That's pretty remarkable in this day and age. It is, and. I know it's. I'm going to ask you the most radio jock question in the world because this team just won the Super Bowl and fairly convincingly over a Kansas City team that everybody thinks is the dynasty of the generation. But is it the right call to run it back with all 22 of these guys? I mean, it is. That is interesting. Like, I, I don't think, I don't think you're going to get better. Like a lot of times, you would say, "Well, you, you're. It's the same roster. It's a year older. It's going to be more experienced. They're going to be better." Um, I think for the most part, there's a couple of young players and a couple of players that I think will improve from year to year. But I think you've also got a lot of older players and the players that might take a step backward uh, going into next year. The first being Tom Brady. I, I mean, I listen, the guy at some point is going to have age catch up to him. It, it has in spurts, like the first half of the year, he looked old as he was learning the offense, played well enough for sure in the second half, but he wasn't awesome. He just kind of figured out how to, blend in with that team and, and make it work for them. It's not like he was, you know, putting up massive numbers or anything. Uh, so I think he'll feel a little bit older. He'll be a little bit older. Gronk might be, you know, we'll see how that kind of uh, works out <laughs> eventually. But I think on the defensive side, 
while you do have some of the younger players, you are, you know, you're getting older with guys like Levante David and, and, and other players uh, that have been around the mix for a while that might be a little bit older. So uh, I don't know that it's, it's the right thing or the wrong thing necessarily. I just don't think it's the typical situation where most times if you're like, we have 22 guys back off a team that won the Super Bowl, this is great. I think that they they could have improved in some in some areas on some of those starting positions. More NFL talk coming up here in just a minute. Our man Stanford Route joins Cofield and Company to talk about the Raiders and maybe he knows what the plan is. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the four o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune up today by calling 577-2600. Now back to Cofield and Company. Live from the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. Football Friday here on Cofield and Company with Adam Candy, Adam Hill. Steve is getting a well-deserved day off. It has been an enormous day in the NFL. We've had the Niners, the Dolphins, the Eagles all involved in trading around in the first round. Probably some quarterback talk It's going to go along with that. Our man Stanford Rout joins us here on Cofield and Company on Fridays, former NFL Defensive back. What's happening, Stanford? How you doing, man? Fellas, what's going on, man? Happy to be back on with y'all. Happy to have you with us. All right, man. It has been a wild, wild day so far in the NFL with all of these uh, draft picks being traded around. We see the San Francisco 49ers moving up to number three. We have to assume to to go get a quarterback. What do you think about uh, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch deciding that uh, it appears that Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to be their future? Yeah, I think that ever since that Super Bowl where they lost to the Kansas City Chiefs back in the 2019 season, the errant throw, uh, the overthrow deep to uh, Emmanuel Sanders, which was a miss, and that led to subsequently the 49ers losing the Super Bowl to the Chiefs that year. It seemed like that's when everything started to unravel. Then when you factor in how... Jimmy G always seems to be injury prone. He never can play a full season without getting nicked, without getting banged up, things like that. John Lynch is a hardcore, uh, hard hitting free safety for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Denver Broncos. So he still thinks like an old school guy. Like you got to be able to go ahead and finish out the season. You got to be, you got to be able to be available. That's the number one ability in the NFL. And then with Kyle Shanahan. He does not want to be driving to the facility, driving to the stadium every Sunday, not knowing that he's going to have his quarterback available because now he's got to call plays completely differently than if he would have Jimmy G, Jimmy G uh, in the fold. And I think when you factor in both of those, I think that uh, they're starting to get a little bit tired of the same merry-go-round in San Francisco and with them trading up in the draft to number three spot, you don't trade up that high to go get an offensive tackle or to go get a receiver or something like that. So it definitely is probably going to be a quarterback by, by my estimation. What do you, th- I saw this take earlier. I want to get your, your read on this, that we had both, you know, both teams in California, we had McVay and Shanahan, both take teams to the Super Bowl with average quarterbacks, we should say in golf and, and Garoppolo and both thought, hey, we could do this. And now two years later, we're seeing that both of them are like, nope, can't do that. Got to go get an elite quarterback. Well, yeah, I mean, pretty much in the NFL, 
that's the growing sentiment that you got to have an elite quarterback. But that's the thing. There's only about six of them in the entire league on the planet. So what you're going to do is you're going to try to find the closest thing you can to it. And then if you cannot find a guy who is an upper echelon, above average type of guy, then you got to have make sure that he has the right belt and whistles with him. You got to give him a good scheme. You got to give him a run game. You got to give him a good defense. So that's something that every team in the league is trying to do right now that's not named the Green Bay Packers, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Seattle Seahawks. Everybody's looking to go ahead and make that upgrade. It's just so dang hard because the ones that are out there that are the true upgrades are either A, they're not available, or B, like they just simply don't exist and you got to try to go find them in college and hope that you get a high enough draft pick to actually go ahead and obtain them. Stanford, the uh, free agency carousel continues here as the Raiders bring in Willie Sneed to add to the wide receiver room after they brought in John Brown. Uh, what have you made thus far of what you've seen from the Raiders offseason? A lot of the pundits have been kind of down on the moves they've made thus far. I mean, the, uh, the pundits are going to be down because they haven't made any splash moves. Like, they didn't make any moves like on the first day of free agency where you give a guy, you know, six years, $80 million as an outside linebacker or some flash-in-the-pants type of receiver. So there's always going to be a little bit of that whenever you don't make that big splash. But I think for the Las Vegas Raiders, to me, their number one need their number one area of focus will be the secondary that's what they have to address too many games last season were lost with them not taking care of business whether it was late in the half or late in the game as you could see against the los angeles chargers on thursday night football or the miami dolphins on the saturday night football the day after christmas well what is the plan in the secondary and i mean it's been a while but could you move to safety could you play <laughs> uh, I think uh, I think those days are behind me, fellas. Especially uh, moving to safety because I'm not trying to come up and fill no hole against some 220 pound running back. I'm a corner guy, for God's sake. Uh, but yeah, I think that uh, they're going to have to make sure that they're all on the same page. Obviously, you see they got a new defensive coordinator into the mix. Hopefully, that's going to go ahead and put them all more put together, more on the same page, where you don't have those mental lapses, those mental blunders that you saw plague them so much last year and even in years past for the past several years. And I think that if they can get that short away, if they can get that, uh, if they can go ahead and, and find a way to clean that up, I think the Las Vegas Raiders are going to be a player within the AFC and especially within the AFC West because we see last year pretty much the only team in the regular season that Pat Mahomes lost to was the Las Vegas Raiders. So clearly they know how to go ahead and play with those upper echelon teams. It's just something that you have to do it more consistently, and you got to be able to go ahead and put away the teams that you're better than and not let them go ahead and sneak you because whenever you look back at the end of the season and you don't make the playoffs, you can look back to the Chargers game. You can look back to the Dolphins game. You can look back to certain points throughout the season that, okay, you know what, that loss right there really hurt us if we could have had that be a w we might be actually playing in january rather than sitting at home watching it on our tvs like everybody else is stanford route joining us here on cofield and company you know the other side of that Niners situation stanford was of course the miami dolphins who drafted Tua tonga last year they move around a couple of times they they drop down to 12 they move back up to uh to number six what did you think of what you saw out of the Dolphins last year, and what do you think they're capable of doing this year? 
I think the Dolphins have a really good defense. Obviously, going ahead, uh, picking up a Byron Jones to pair him with an Xavier Howard. That's an elite secondary combination right there in the back end. Brian Flores coming over from the New England Patriots. Obviously, we can see that he's bringing over that New England regime. He's a no-holds-bar. He's, he's a no-nonsense type of guy. You're going to come in here. You're going to do your job. And if you don't, I'm going to get you out of here. And you could see with last season how they went to Tua kind of early. Right after uh, Ryan, uh, right after I'm sorry, not Ryan Tannehill, but uh, Fitzpatrick is actually kind of, you know, he's kind of getting his foot in a little bit. And then they go to him too early, and then they see, okay, you know what, Tua may not be ready, so let's go ahead and go back to Fitzpatrick in the second half of a couple of games that you saw last year. But with the trade back up to number six, that does make you wonder: Is Miami all the way? convinced that Tua was the guy because so much of last season, Tua looked overwhelmed. He did not look completely comfortable. We all get it. He's coming off of an injury that he had his last year at Alabama, but it does make you wonder, does Miami still think that they're in the quarterback market at that number six spot? I really can't imagine seeing the Trevor Lawrence's, the Zach Wilson's, the Trey Lance's of the world, the Josh Fields, uh, those guys. It, it, I, I can't really imagine that they're going to be available at six, but if they are, I would not be surprised if Miami uses that number six pick to go ahead draft a quarterback, just like Arizona Cardinals did a couple years ago, taking Kyler Murray while they already had Josh Rosen, and then just simply you magically see on the bottom line, the bot, uh, the ticker at the bottom of the screen that Tua Tagovailoa has been traded to uh, to somebody else for a second round pick or something like that. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting situation to monitor for sure. But I, I just wanted to you know get your thoughts on you know if you're playing on a really good defense and you know every week like the Dolphins every week their defense was showing up and their offense was so inconsistent you know with Tua and then going back and forth with Fitzpatrick a little bit. Uh, how long can that defense? continue to grow and thrive if they don't trust in the offense and how ugly could get, could that get in a locker room about as long as you saw how San Francisco had a really really good defense <laughs> back in the 2019 season and then guess what 2020 they take a bit of a step back not completely falling off the cliff but you see that they were not as dominant I know Nick Bosa he got injured early on in the season so that was a big blow to them and then also we see uh Buckner going to the Indianapolis Colts that played a part Richard Sherman being injured for part of the year but it's very difficult to be a stellar defense for a lengthy period of time in this league because of the way that the rules are set up, the way that these offenses are getting more and more complex, the way that you see the spread offenses matriculated all the way to the high school level. These quarterbacks are coming into this league having a lot more experience playing that level of offense throughout that scheme. So with everything wrapped up in the one, it is hard to play at an elite level as a defense for, I'd say, more than a year and a half because offenses are geared to score. The, the, the rules are geared to let the offense score. The rules are geared to see high-scoring games like we saw a couple years ago, the Chiefs and the Rams on that Monday night game. It is hard to do that. So as a defense – they can go ahead and they can handle it for about a year. But if you put them in those positions for any longer than a year and a half and you don't get things squared away at the quarterback position or on the offense side of the ball, I think you're really setting yourself up for failure because they're not going to be able to sustain that for a lengthy period of time for a myriad of reasons. So Miami definitely has to go ahead and they got to get that quarterback situation solved, whether it's to let Tua be the guy and believe in him 
install everything around him for him to be successful or go ahead and draft one of these young, hot-gun quarterbacks that's going to be coming up in about a month. Strong stuff as always, Stanford. We appreciate your time, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, guys. Y'all be good. Talk to you next week. Thanks, man. All right, Stanford route here on Cofield and Company. When we come back, Golden Knights dropped a 5-1 game last night to the Colorado Avalanche, and the trade deadline is only two weeks away. Should we expect that help's coming? Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. Smith goes from the crease toward the puck left corner. Now Marcia Sill joins in, sends it out high. Carlson a blind pass backwards, missing Theodore. Back it goes. Right wing, a centering try. Belmar scores! 5-1 Colorado. Time now for Dustin DeHart's Club 99. Sorry, Vegas Golden Knights fans. That was not a highlight from the 2017-18 season. Don't get all excited thinking that Pierre Edward Belmar is out there with Smith, Carlson, and Marcia. So that is goal number five for the Colorado Avalanche in a 5-1 to one victory uh, last night. All right, Adam, I'm going sort of, to sort of bastardize the Club 99 here a little bit and just go one through, one through nine. Uh, Nine being it's urgent, one being everything's fine. How would you rate the need for the Vegas Golden Knights to be looking for help at the trade deadline, which is April 12th? Um, I guess I'll go four. Somewhere okay. in the middle. So uh, if it's a four, then you think that they should be looking, but they don't necessarily have to do something. Yeah, and they don't really have much flexibility anyway. I mean, unless they can, they can get somebody to take on one of their contracts of like, I don't know, like a Nick Holden or somebody, somebody like that. I and and if you do want to make a move for you know by clearing out one of the goalies, I think that's still on the table. But man, what I mean, it wouldn't be Leonard. Like you, if you were going to trade a goalie, it'd be Flurry. Flurry was so good for much of the season. Leonard was out for much of the season. If you were to trade Flurry, and Leonard is injured again, Leonard has another concussion, misses an extended period of time, then all of a sudden this season is kind of a waste, right? I mean, if you were without both those goalies and you had to kind of go um, with one of the younger guys, I don't know that you're necessarily thinking you can make a run in the playoffs. So they're in a tough spot in terms of how they would even clear enough room to, to make a move uh, because I don't know that they want to give up one of those guys. Oh, I'm with you, and I brought up the question to you earlier about trading one of the goalies just because that's the quickest way to the money. But the second part of that is, okay, if you are trading one of those guys, what are you trying to get? And what last night's game highlighted that you mentioned earlier has been an issue throughout the season, but I think was really, really obvious last night and becomes more obvious when we play Pierre-Edouard Belmar goal is that Colorado in the bottom six forwards is a better team than the Vegas Golden Knights. I think you can clearly line up the first two lines of these two teams and say, yeah, while McKinnon and Rantanen and Landeskog might be one of the best lines in the NHL, there's not that big a gap between them and what the Golden Knights roll out there. But what we've seen thus far is that that seems to be an area where the Golden Knights could improve. And of course, the, the D has been so injured that it's tough to say how any of those pieces really fit together. So where would you be looking if you could add something? Yeah, I think it'd be it'd be a bottom six forward. 
Um, I mean, obviously, you don't. You'd want a top six forward that plays on your bottom six is what you'd what you'd really want, I think. Uh, but I think you need you need something to jumpstart those units. Now, the the counter would be we know that Reeves and Carrier have have teamed up with a third guy uh, in the past, and it's been a rotating characters of third guys. But they've they've teamed up with the third guy, and they've had success in the past. It just hasn't quite worked out this year. Uh, and the third line has been kind of decimated by injury, you know, in, guys in and out of the lineup. So you would think if you get healthy and Reeves and Carrier can take a step forward, all of a sudden now you're now you're rolling out four lines again. And you've had a couple of games where that happened. A couple of games ago, I thought uh, the fourth line played pretty well. So you you have it in you to improve in those areas, even without making a move. There just hasn't been anything to show that it's going to happen anytime soon. So I think we're at a point in the season where you start to get a little bit concerned and say, has it really come together? Uh, but that's where you'd be looking to improve the team, I think. So the Vegas Golden Knights have played 31 games. They are 22-8-1, tied for first in the division with the Colorado Avalanche, and they have a game in hand. So theoretically, they have the edge there. Um, they're 6-4-0 and in their last 10 games. Avalanche, of course, have only lost once in regulation in their last 10. But Adam, it feels to me like this situation right now a is what you signed up for when you capped the team out in the offseason. And B isn't all that bad because it feels like the acquisition that the Vegas Golden Knights could make is the acquisition that they thought they made in the offseason, which is getting a number one defenseman. Alex Petrangelo is hurt and out. And even before Alex Petrangelo was hurt and out, he was not playing well. Like the, yeah. he was not the player that they thought they were signing. And, you know, there could be any number of reasons for that. But it feels to me like if you get Alex Petrangelo back on the other side of the trade deadline and he becomes the guy who was the captain of the St. Louis Blues, that's probably the best you could hope for anyway. Yeah. And, and sometimes that counts as an acquisition, right? I mean, you don't have to always look outside. Uh, that's the traditional way it is to bring somebody in to trade for somebody. But, you know, oftentimes, you know, the, the Knights made an acquisition, what, last year? Or was it two years? I mean, I'm losing track of time now. But um, when Nate Schmidt was out for 20 games, and all of a sudden you add him back to the lineup, that's that's an acquisition. That's somebody bring, you're bringing in that you didn't really have in the mix. So so you're right. I mean, getting him healthy and getting him playing, more importantly, at a, at a high level that we've seen him play in the past would be like acquiring a top-level uh, you know, top pair defensive, defensive, excuse me, defenseman, that would be big for them as well. And I, I don't think it's crazy to think that he is going to be much, much better down the stretch than he was early in the season, even when he was out there, uh, because, you know, you're just getting comfortable. You're finding a new, you're finding a new home, finding new guys to play with, new system, everything that they're trying to do here. Uh, it, it takes time to adjust. And I think, uh, I think he'll be just fine if he can be on the ice. If he can be available, uh, I think that's a, you know, that's an addition that the Golden Knights are making. You look at their roster and you say to yourself, okay, if Alex Petrangelo slots back in, then he, as the player that you expect him to be, is the best acquisition that you could make at the trade deadline. And that's just reality because of the cap situation. You mentioned the Nate Schmidt situation. I believe that was two seasons ago coming off the yeah. PED suspension for Nate Schmidt. Last year was Alec Martinez, right? You bring in Alec yeah. Martinez at the trade deadline. And, of course, before that, Mark Stone uh, comes over, and that was as big of a trading deadline acquisition as you'll ever be able to make. Yeah. But I think Golden Knights fans need to get used to the idea that that doesn't happen every year. <laughs> There's not a Mark Stone available at the deadline every year. You're lucky that there was an Alec Martinez available at the deadline every year. 
But the Golden Knights probably are not going to be in a position to make that kind of move. And frankly, because of the division setup this year and that, that their division is so weak, it really hasn't come back to hurt them at all that they have not played up to performance in certain areas like the bottom six and like some of their D pairs. No, I think that's important to remember too, that like when we, when we're pointing out flaws and in, in areas where you can improve, like there's not a whole lot of glaring spots because they've just been really good. And some of that is level of competition. I mean, you, you, you have a division where you should be in the playoffs no matter what, and you're playing the same teams all year long and they've traditionally dominated uh, a lot of these teams that are in their division, so that helps. But this is this is a good team, and the reason, um, you know, as you said, you're not always going to have a Mark Stone available, but you're also also not going to have always have room to acquire them. They've acquired guys the last couple of years, and now they've paid them and kept them around, and now that's why they don't have a whole lot of flexibility. But that's also a good thing. I mean, you don't have flexibility because you have a lot of really good players signed to contracts for the next couple of years, and you know, I, I think. Uh, it's it's a team that doesn't need a whole lot. Now they could, as we said, they could use some tweaks here and there. They could use some improvement in a couple of different spots. But uh, this is a team that has gone out, acquired guys, been aggressive at the deadline, and now they've got those guys locked into deals. So there's not a whole lot of uh, room to be flexible. But at the same time, like you've got you've got those guys in the mix now. They're part of your team, and you know we should also say Alec, Alec Martinez, as you mentioned, has been so important to this team like he's been really really good that was a great acquisition that they made that was exactly the guy they needed and look george mcphee and kelly mccrimmon have proven that if exactly the guy they need is out there they'll find him whether it was max pacioretty whether it was mark stone whether it's alec martinez whether it's alex petrangelo like they they've gone out there and the track record of guys that they've brought in even the ones who aren't here anymore like david perron uh, are guys that have helped this team. There haven't been a lot of big misses when it comes to acquisitions for the Vegas Golden Knights. And when you look at where they are now, Adam, and they're tied for first in the division with Colorado, and you look behind them and you see Minnesota in third, and then a little pack with St. Louis, Arizona, and the resurgent Kings uh, kind of battling it out for that number four spot. And I don't know about you, but it feels to me like staying out of that number two hole and avoiding Minnesota in round one has to be the biggest priority here for the Golden Knights. I don't know that you can just look at it and say, well, first, second, whatever, it doesn't really matter that much. I think it probably does matter when you look at the way they've played against Minnesota versus the way they've played against those other three teams. Yeah, I I would agree with you. I think, you know, right now that's what you should be looking at. I mean, you should be looking at just improving your own self. You should be trying to be playing as good a hockey as you can going into the playoffs would be the main goal. But you're right in terms of of seeding and matchups and positioning uh that is going to be a valuable spot there's a big difference between finishing first and second although like would you completely discount st louis getting hot and being you know a very good team by the end of the year i I think we haven't seen anything that would show that they could but it's certainly possible we've we've seen uh and they've lost some players from those teams but we've seen them put together big runs at the end of the year we saw the year that they made the run all the way that they got really hot the, the last two months of the season that's possible that they could get there, uh, but but right now, yeah, I think you would look at it and say you really want to be in that number one position. Yeah, I was kind of making a bit of a ham-handed transition there from talking just about the Golden Knights roster to what it ultimately means <laughs> in the long term, but I think the biggest thing you look at with the Blues is to say if you think Jordan Bennington can get back to being Stanley Cup Jordan Bennington, then yeah, I, I do think it's possible, but the Jordan Bennington 
that's sitting there with a 914 save percentage right now is probably not the guy who I think is going to lead a big run for St. Louis. So, uh, you know, that being said, certainly not out of the question that uh, that they could make that kind of move. Uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. April 12th, once again, is the NHL trade deadline. And we saw some news today that uh, it appears that I should say it was either today or yesterday. The days all blend together when you're when you're our age. But hmm. Uh, it appears that they might be changing the quarantine rules in Canada, right? So it might be a little easier to get players back and forth across the border. Yeah, uh, I haven't, I haven't uh, followed it too closely, but yeah, oh, they're, that's they're okay. I'll hand, uh, uh, they're getting I closer. Believe, yeah, they're figuring out a way to do it where it could be seven days instead of fourteen days crossing the border, and it's largely driven by the NHL, uh, largely driven by being able to get uh, players back and forth across the border. Because, of course, if you know, if you have an entire division. Uh, up in Canada, then uh, that is certainly something that they'll need to take into consideration. I'll leave immigration and COVID issues out of the discussion <laughs> when we move on to talk with our man, Dave Koken, the man, the myth, the legend. He'll give his opinion on what happened today in the NFL, as long as, uh, well, as maybe get us caught up on looking at some baseball futures as well here on Cofield and Company. Club 99 is presented by Dustin DeHart at Nova Home Loans. Want to talk interest rates and ask about getting your mortgage tuned up? Dustin is Cofield's real estate guy. He needs to be yours, too. Call Dustin DeHart at 577-2600. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Dave Koken. The legend himself, Dave Koken, joined us here on Cofield and Company. No Cofield today. Adam Candy, Adam Hill, Ari back at our Finley Toyota studios. It has been a day here in the NFL. Uh, Dave, the news was fast and furious this morning with the 49ers and the Dolphins and the Eagles swapping picks and moving around. What'd you make of everything you saw with the, the National Football League today? Well, I guess the 49ers, uh, uh, they're moving up to what, number three? Uh, I guess yeah. they want a quarterback. I guess they want a quarterback really bad. So that, that, that uh, would not be good news for Jimmy Garoppolo, I guess. <laughs> uh, beyond that, I don't know. Um, I, I, I think there's, there's one surefire quarterback in this draft, but I'm not sure about any of the others. So I can't say that I'm, I'm going to be in love with any of these teams moving up, but time might prove me wrong on that. And by the one surefire quarterback, you mean, of course, Zach Wilson, right? No, not quite. Uh, I, I mean, Wilson's going to play in the NFL. I think the one who – these guys, they're all going to play in the NFL. I guess Lance – I haven't seen Lance a lot, but he's got tremendous potential, and I know he's got great legs too. Um, but the only sure thing is, is Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I mean, he's just – he is phenomenal, and if he stays healthy, he's going to be a great one. I don't know if you can say that about any, any of the others. If you were going to go out there right now, Dave, and if you, I'm not saying you yourself would, but if someone were trying to bet a draft prop right now on who the second quarterback taken would be, who do you think that will be? Oh, I think it's going to be Wilson. You think he's a sure thing for the Jets at number two? Yeah. Um, if the Jets if the Jets hold the pick and, and draft <laughs> the quarterback, yeah, 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 that, yeah I yeah, do. There you go. Yeah, that's a pretty excellent point. It doesn't not necessarily the Jets. No, I mean, look, after what happened today, I mean, the Jets might look and say, well, wait a minute. We could we could score a, a, a mother load here for that number two pick. Let's, let's see what's out there. I mean, if I were the Jets, that's what I'd be doing. 
but I'm not the Jets. And uh, <laughs> while I'm certainly I'm not claiming that I have GM skills because I don't, uh, I think most of us probably could have done a better job than, than they've done over the past few years. Yeah. Poor, I'm serious. Poor I'm not joking. They've been that bad. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the Bears run a close second when it comes to quarterback, but, uh, but the Jets overall have been, they've been unbelievable. Happy birthday, Cofield. We'll uh, throw that out there while you're talking about the Jets. It's yes. Good. It's out. Um, are you interested? Do you, I mean, I don't know how much you get interested in the futures market, but the Dolphins become very intriguing because they, their team is pretty set. The question mark really is Tua. Now we don't know what they're going to do with that sixth pick now that they're there, but if they do get a quarterback or maybe even trade for a quarterback at some point, does this team start to get interesting in terms of maybe being viable in the futures market? I don't think so, because I think Flores did an amazing job. It was, it was kind of a crappy team last year. Um, and, you know, he almost got them in the postseason. And I, I didn't think they were very good. Uh, I was hoping they would make the postseason, because that would have been, whoever they played, I was going to be all over them. And I rarely say that in the NFL. Uh, but, no, I, I think Buffalo's the team to beat. I think the Patriots are going to be considerably improved. I mean, half the team was on, opted out last year. And... Uh, all those guys are coming back. Patriots, Patriots will be a much better team than they were last year. Doesn't mean they're going to win the division, but um, I think New England's going to be the second best team in that in, uh, in that in that sector. Dave Cogan with us here on Cofield and Company. All right, Dave. Uh, opening day is around the corner here in baseball. Uh, how have you looked at this particular Major League Baseball season? Are you using anything from? the 2020 season as information when you look forward to this particular season, or are you kind of throwing out most of what you saw in that 60 game season? It's kind of both. Um, I don't think you can throw it out, but it was the box uh, in, in so many respects, but you can't throw it out because in the end, the best team did win. The Dodgers were the best team at baseball and they did win. So there was that sense of normalcy at least. Um, but beyond that, uh, there's a lot of things I'm not paying a great deal of attention to, and one of them is, is the Marlins, who made the playoffs last year, and they're not a playoff team. Uh, and, and you can see that by what they did with the over-and-under win prop. I mean, they're, they're still pegged to finish last in the division by a pretty good margin. I think they're at the low 70s, and Philadelphia's at like 81, uh, the second lowest win total in that division. So there were some really weird things that happened last year. Uh, I don't think Houston's going to be as bad as they were in the regular season, although I don't think the Astros are a great team anymore, and, and I think Oakland's the team to beat in that division. So, I, you know, I'm trying to approach it as normally as possible um, because it, I, I think it'll shake out that way pretty quickly. I think you'll see normalcy return. How there's big injury for the White Sox yesterday, obviously. Oh, uh, the spirits uh, are crushed for White Sox uh, fans. How, well, how I mean, much do we? Uh... It's an exhibition game. What are you doing? Yeah. I mean, I'm, well, he had no chance to catch the ball, and it's an exhibition game. I mean, the first rule from any manager should be to his regulars: I don't want you crashing into any wall. Okay, right. the games don't count. Yeah, it just just go out there and make a play. Let it hit the wall or whatever, but you cannot hit the wall, and. I mean, he made he made an effort that indicated it was a World Series game, right. and now and now he's out until until basically the World Series. Well, 
how much do we downgrade expectations on the White Sox? He's worth a couple of wins, that's for sure. I mean, I don't have his war in front of me, but I, I'd say, you know, that's a three to four win loss for that team. Uh, they, fortunately, they have some depth in the outfield, but uh, Eloy Jimenez is a huge loss for them. I, 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 I still think they're the favorite in that division, but not by much anymore. I mean, the Twins are now nipping at their heels for sure. I, and I thought the White Sox were going to run away with the division, to be honest with you. But uh, it, it's a real horse race now. Honestly, Dave, it doesn't feel like in the American League there are too many sure things. And I say that as a Yankees fan who looks at that team and says, pitching-wise, they need a lot of things to go right. And a lot of people in that lineup have been hurt consistently. So overall, when you're handicapping the American League, do you see any team that you think is head and shoulders above the rest? No. No, I don't. I think the Yankees are the best team, but it's close. Oakland is very good. The White Sox. I thought the White Sox were the best team, to be honest with you. But, again, that the injury is big there. Um, and a couple of others. Are, you know, Toronto's interesting. Uh, They're they certainly improving. Their defense could be really bad, though. That's that's a worry. Uh, I'm, I'm not sold to their defense. They're going to give up some some unearned runs this year. Red Sox going to be better, but they're probably not a playoff team. Uh, the Angels they're going to hit like crazy. I'm not sure about their pitching. I think Houston's down a bit. It might be one of those years where somebody who hasn't been very good can sneak up and make some noise. And I'm not saying I'm going to bet him this way. But the Royals are kind of interesting. They've got a very good farm system that's approaching being ready. And if the pitching staff continues to improve, now they're getting some innings, you know, they could be a really interesting team this year. Uh, at least a team that, that gets to the 500 level. Uh, and the funny thing is, I didn't bet them over because they might still be completely a year away and they might struggle to win 70. But the, the Royals are kind of intriguing to me. Who, who's going to win the NL Central? I think Cardinals will win it. Uh, hmm. And I think they might win it fairly easily. I don't think the Reds are as good as they were. The Pirates, you can forget about them. Uh, the Cubs just look like maybe a 500 team. And the Brewers um, are probably the second best team, but I think there's a pretty good, pretty good distance between them and the Cardinals. I think St. Louis is... Uh, well, either them or the Dodgers are the easiest division winners. The Padres have certainly improved, but the Dodgers are they, – they might be historically good uh, now that they've added Bauer to that mix. Jeez. I mean, I feel bad for the Padres. They did everything they could to make their team really strong, and it's a good team. But, I mean, this Dodgers team, unless they run into an unexpected decline or a lot of injuries, I don't know how they don't win 100 games. I'm no, I'm with you right there. I mean, it's it's hard to look at a win total on the Dodgers that you feel comfortable playing an under on, uh, even as high as some of them have gotten thus far. So, yeah. uh, Dave Coke and the man, the myth, the legend. We always appreciate uh, you joining us here on C and C, and talk to you next week, man. Thanks, Adam and Adam. Appreciate it, man. Thanks. Man. All right. When we come back, the Big Five catches you up on the NFL as well as the drunkest hangover that Gus Johnson has ever had. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today.